Hello there, I'm Susan Bradley and welcome to the Four Modern Mothers podcast, a podcast dedicated to mothers and mothers-to-be, here to help you navigate your own unique journey through modern motherhood. In each episode, there'll be insights and wisdom. We'll be covering everything from fertility and trying to conceive to pregnancy and birth and onwards through your life as a mother. Expect conversations around subjects and issues that will support, inspire, inform, and empower you. From health and well-being, to body image, self-care, mental health, birth, pregnancy, work-life balance, relationships, the whole lot. With my specially invited guests and experts, as well as sharing my own knowledge with you. Enjoy and don't forget to subscribe too. Oh, so welcome everybody. Hi there, it's Susan um, with the All Modern Mothers podcast. And um, apologies, first of all, for my um, absence and delay for rather a while with the podcast. It's just been a bit of a crazy few months. Lots of things going on, trying to get everything in person and online. The ongoing COVID situation has been ridiculously busy, keeping everyone supported. Um also, I recorded a podcast and then had a complete technical disaster and lost it. And I just was like, ah, so frustrated. It was a great episode as well. Hopefully, I can re-record that at some point. Um, and then just other things going on, life things. Um, some, One of them I'm very excited to tell you about. Some um, training I'm doing, some coaching, some live coaching training, which I will tell you about soon a lot more because it's something I'm really excited about but for now I am glad to be back on the podcast and um, thank you for your patience um, in my absence but today's podcast is all about and it came up because of a few conversations in classes this week um, both pregnancy classes I talked about it and mum and baby um, yoga classes which was to do with babies' brains and um as you might know, I'm slightly obsessed with um, neuroscience and how brains work. Um, and this very much feeds into um, what I do in terms of the hypnobirthing courses I run. And I talked about that, but it very much runs into mom and baby classes as well. And um, understanding how babies' brains work and how they um, are wired and, and what that means in terms of you caring and looking after for your baby um, and there are lots of things that you can do to support that development which is pretty amazing. So this episode is all about that. It's all about baby's brains and um, how we are effectively born as humans kind of immature compared to many other mammals and our brains are very immature and so what we do once babies are born um, is really critical um, and the care that they have is supporting their brain development which obviously has massive implications for the whole of their lives so that is what today's episode is all about babies brains understanding them I hope a little bit better and that can really help support you as a mother as a parent I think when you understand what's going on um, from a neuro neurological kind of way so that's where we're starting um, and this all came about, I was talking, one of the examples that I was giving um, was about how if somebody had actually um, had a horse and 
uh, in pregnancy yoga and um, it had a foal and they'd seen this foal being born and um, a foal um, will be up on its feet within kind of 30 minutes to an hour after being born. It will be standing and then it can walk and run pretty much, you know, well, the same day. And if you compare that to a human baby, um, also a mammal, um, well, a baby can definitely not um, walk or run until, you know, about a year old, maybe about 12 months old, somewhere about that region. So there's a lot still to happen in that baby's brain, in the human's brain, before um, they can make the same movement and be as confident on their feet as um, a foal can, as a horse can. So there is a lot of work going on in the brain that needs to happen. And so babies are born um, far less developed in terms of their the wiring, as, we're, as, it's, as it's called, of their brain and their neurons in their brain than, than, than many other uh, mammals. We're pretty um, incompetent relatively. So pretty pathetic. So this is really interesting because what we do to the babies, as I've said, what, how we react with them, what we do with them has a really big bearing on, on we, can, we have an input, basically, we can have a really positive input into our baby's development and into their brain development. So babies' brains, human brains, are still under construction, shall we say. And human babies' um, brains don't take on their full adult structure and function until they've finished all their... Um, principal wiring so there's going to be a lot of talk about wiring <laughs> like an electrician and within the podcast today that actually takes in total about 25 years I'm not going to talk about the whole 25 year period I'm just going to talk about um, babies um, but you know it's an ongoing process and you can still make changes to the wiring of your brain through a process that's called neuroplasticity right all up until, you know, all through your life, basically, we can have an effect on our thinking and the way the neurological pathways are in our brain all the way through our lives. And again, I talk about this very much to do with pregnancy and birth in my hypnobirthing um, courses that I run, because I think an understanding of that is also really, really helpful and can make a really big difference to how you respond to um, your knowledge and thoughts and feelings about pregnancy and birth and that can make a difference to the physiological process and to your labor but for now let's just talk about the babies so we don't actually know nobody actually knows why we have evolved in this way that our brain wiring is incomplete or only partially complete um, lots of scientists are very happy to kind of speculate but we don't know for sure but we know that it is only partly done but what we can learn is where those wiring instructions come from after birth and then the advantages that actually this arrangement gives us as human beings. So you might be familiar with the adage of um, nature versus nurture and certainly when I studied um, science at school at a university we talked about the nature-nurture debate and which was stronger. So which aspects of humanity are built into our genes, into our genetic code before birth, and then which ones we learn from our culture. So the nurture, and obviously the nature is, is what's already hardwired in there. But actually, this, we now know 
that this isn't as, as simple as one or the other. Um, we can't attribute the causes just only to our genes or just to the environment because they are really deeply entwined together um, and they're actually not separate things that um, the nurture your environment has um, a control of the expression of the genes that are already inbuilt um, within the cells of your body so to a remarkable extent, a baby's genes are guided and regulated by their environment, by their environment around them, which genes are turned on or turned off, which are what's called expressed, um, depends on their environment, the people and what is around them. So, so for example, we know that um, in a baby, the brain's areas that are involved in vision and what babies can see normally develop after birth and that only happens if babies' retinas are regularly exposed to light. And babies' brains also learn to locate sounds in the world based on the specific shapes of baby's ear. And to make matters kind of even stranger than that, a baby's body requires some additional genes that sneak in from the outside world. So these tiny visitors, if you like, travel inside of bacteria and other critters and affect the way that the brains, affect the way that babies' brains um, develop in ways that scientists are only beginning to understand. There's also a lot of research being done about the gut and babies' um, gut health and microbiome and how that works on an axis with the brain and what happens in humans' guts, in people's, but especially babies' guts when they're small has an effect on um, what goes on neurologically in their brain too. So it's an ongoing field of research for sure. So a baby's wiring instructions for their brain come not only from the physical environment but also the social environment from the caregivers, from their mothers, their fathers, their caregivers, the people um, who are supporting them. So when you cradle a new baby in your arms and you have your face at just the right distance, this teaches baby's brain to recognise faces. And many other things that we do, many other social things we do with a baby. So holding them, cuddling them, talking to them, making eye contact with them. All of these things are sculpting baby's brain in necessary and um, positive ways. And genes play a key role in building baby's brain wiring, but they also open the door for us to wire the newborn baby's brain in the context of their culture. And as information travels from the world, so by sight or sound or touch into the newborn baby's brain, some of the neurons within their brain fire together more frequently than others. And this repetitive firing of the neurons within baby's brain causes gradual brain changes. And those changes are what are known as neuroplasticity. The fact that the brain has a quality of not being set in stone, that it is plastic has a plasticity and that so by changing the input into the brain this can help to strengthen some of those neurological pathways or um, it can help if those pathways aren't being used that those pathways that then kind of fall away that are not needed 
So it's kind of a process of like you use it or you lose it. Um, sometimes it's called tuning and pruning. So the pathways that are constantly reinforced are tuned. Um, those pathways become stronger and the ones that are pruned, the ones that aren't used so much kind of fall away and those ones are deemed kind of not necessary by the brain. There's a strengthening of the connections between neurons. So the tuning is particularly for connections that are used frequently or that are important some way for what's called body budgeting. So budgeting of the resources in your body. So your brain, and this is really fascinating, we kind of think, um, well, we think that we've been told that the brain is there for thinking. Um, and that's what it does. But actually, your brain's most important job is not um, thinking, rationality, it's not emotion or imagination or creativity or any of those things. Your brain's most important job and a baby's brain's most important job that it is learning is to control your body, to, to kind of control the, the inputs and the outputs, the energy to make it as efficient as it can and decide which things are worthwhile and which will help um, you to survive. So it's all about surviving. Your brain is continuing working out what to invest energy in to get a good return and then what it doesn't need so that it's got the best possible chance of surviving and then passing on your genes to the next generation and then baby's genes to their next generation. And that is the job of the brain. So the job of the brain, the most important job, is not thinking, although it does that. It's running your body, which is very, very complicated, in the most efficient way. So yes, your brain does think and feel and imagine and have all these other amazing experiences, such as letting you listen to this podcast, perhaps. But all of these mental capacities are a consequence of the central mission of your brain to keep you alive and well by imagining sorry, by managing your body budget, as it's known. And that's really important. So what your baby's brain is doing is effectively learning what are the important things that it needs to budget, what are the resources that it needs um, for baby to survive. So if we think of these, these neurons in baby's brain, in our brains too, of course, are like little, um, they're often described as trees. Um, and the tuning means that the branches of the trees, um, the dendrites, become bushier. And then the trunk-like um, axon develops a thicker myelin sheath coating. So a thicker pro um, protein coating, like a fatty bark, that insulates around those electrical wires. So this makes the signals travel faster um, and more efficiently. And the processing of information can then... Um, work more quickly and well-tuned connections are more efficient at carrying information at processing and the poorly tuned ones and then than the poorly tuned ones and so they're reused because your brain again efficiently has those pathways that it already uses in the brain and it knows them and it's familiar and they're the kind of path of least resistance so the brain is more likely to recreate certain neural patterns that include those well-tuned connections things that constantly happen to baby that you constantly do with your baby reinforce those neural connections um, and make them stronger and so you might have heard the term um, that neuroscientists use, neurons that fire together, wire together. So 
those connections that are well used become um, embedded and then the less used connections kind of weaken and they die off and that is the pruning so if you don't use it you lose it and that pruning is also really critical to brain development because when babies are born they have many many more connections and then ultimately use or need so the human embryo creates twice as many neurons as an adult brain actually needs and the infant neurons are actually more bushy so the 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 branches of the tree if you like are more bushy than the adult brain so there are loads of unused connections at the outset when your baby's born and then the brain can tailor itself to different diverse environments that pruning of the things that the brain doesn't need anymore that makes extra room for learning and for the useful connections to be tuned in so it's a really really clever and brilliant system of course and that tuning and pruning happens continuously often simultaneously driven in your baby by the physical and the social world outside of baby's heads and also by the growth and activity that is happening within your baby's body and both those processes continue throughout life the bushy dendrites keep sprouting new buds and your brain tunes and prunes them and then the buds that aren't used or tuned disappear within a few days so as an example of this tuning and pruning that set baby's brains on a path to developing towards the adult brain you might think about um, what happens in your body budget when you're hungry you're hungry you can go to the cupboard open the fridge when you're tired um, you can go to bed if you're cold as an adult you just put on a jumper when you're agitated you can um, take some easy breaths to calm your nerves and we know all these things but babies of course can't do any of those things by themselves they can't even burp <laughs> get their wind up with it by themselves often and so that's where mothers and caregivers parents come in they regulate the baby's physical environment and therefore baby's body budget by feeding baby by um, helping them get to sleep by keeping them warm or cool cuddling them all of these actions are helping baby's brain maintain its body budget and so baby's internal system operates more efficiently and baby stays alive well and healthy and if the caregiver is doing these activities effectively then baby's brain is free to tune and prune itself and to perform this healthy body budgeting and little by little over time the caregiver's roles diminish and the infant's brain becomes more capable of controlling her body um, without you needing to do it so babies can eventually fall to sleep on their own i know some of you be thinking when Yes, well, that's another, <laughs> another podcast topic I know. Or they'll be unable, able to feed themselves and put some food into their mouth. It may, of course, take years before babies can dress themselves and do other things. But it's all in a process and it will all happen in time. And eventually, your baby will have primary responsibility for their own body budget. Little brains, babies' brains are also wired by what the caregiver doesn't do and this is also important so for example if a baby is crying for a long time and you don't check in on baby regularly to reassure them then baby's brain may learn that the world is unreliable and unsafe and the body budget will go unattended and there's also the way that we learn to pay attention to things so as adults we have something 
um, that enables our brain to hone in and spotlight on a certain thing. So if you were in a crowd of people and talking and and listening to that, but somebody kind of called your name, then your brain would, would recognize that and it would spotlight it and, and tune into it quite effortlessly, like a spotlight in the darkness. And adult brains have been... Um, set up they have networks of neurons that can focus in on certain details that are important and then ignore the others automatically you nothing you have to think about but babies brains newborn babies brains don't have that they don't know what's important and what not important so they have more like this wide vision like a what's called a lantern view and that's where the caregivers and the social world around your baby really comes in because you are constantly guiding your baby's attention to be interested in things. So when you pick up a toy and you look at the toy and you show your baby the toy and then she looks or he looks at the toy and the baby looks at the toy and looks at you and you're talking about it and you're interested in it. And it's just something that you generally instinctively do with things. You're telling your baby about things, the speech, the language patterns you're using, the eye contact you're making, all of that stuff, that sharing of attention, alert the baby to know that that toy, that thing you're looking at and talking about is important. And so that your baby should care about it. And so your baby takes notice. And little by little, this sharing of attention teaches your baby which parts of the environment matter are important, and also which parts don't. And then your baby's brain can construct its own environment, which is relevant to its body budgeting of what can be ignored and what can't. So scientists call this environment a niche and every environment has a niche and it creates that niche as it centres the world, making worthwhile movements and regulating its body budget. And adult humans, of course, have a really large niche. We are all over the world, um, perhaps the largest kind of niche of any creature. And your, our niches extend far beyond our immediate surroundings um, and they actually include all the events around the world, past, present and future. After months of practising this sharing attention with caregivers, babies learn to elicit this shared attention from them. So babies learn to focus attention even more effectively on the things that matters and they learn that from the care providers. Another example of this pruning and tuning is how our senses develop. So in the first few months of life, babies are bathed in all kinds of sounds, um, sounds of people speaking. And newborns with that lantern, that wide attention, taking all the sounds around them. And newborn babies can distinguish a really wide range of language sounds, including those they don't really hear very often. But over time, if they don't hear certain sounds, the, the pruning of the wiring cuts down on their ability of what vocal sounds they can hear. So the ones that are frequently um, get tuned and the ones that aren't heard get pruned because it's deemed that they don't need that as part of their niche. And so this is why we think that children have a much easier time learning languages um, than adults do because of the different sound patterns that are used in different languages. Um, and if babies have not heard that and children haven't heard those, it's much harder to learn when they're older. Whereas babies that are brought up in multiple um, language households um, will we'll retain that information and those sounds. And of course, we live in multi-sensory worlds, so we don't base things just on sound or just on sight. 
for most of us. Um, it's a unified experience and we combine what we can see, what we can hear, what we can feel and taste and smell and all of those things. And we put that, our brain assembles that into cohesive whole. So scientists call this process sensory integration. And that in itself is tuned and pruned as babies grow. So at first, a newborn baby can't recognise their mother or father's face because baby just hasn't learned what a face is yet and the visual system isn't fully formed. Babies might know a bit about how their mother sounds. Baby can smell breast milk. And there's that amazing newborn crawl that a baby does if you put a newborn baby onto um, their mother's um, belly. They will crawl and wriggle up towards the breast following the aroma, the smell of the colostrum and also the, the darkness of the, of the areola. So soon baby learns to recognise their mother or father, care provider, whoever it is, by different combinations of all their senses. So the brain absorbs each of these patterns of sight, of smell, of sound, of touch, of taste and sensations from inside their body and learns their meaning, that the person who regulates their body budget is here. And that sensory integration conjures your baby's first feeling of trust and it's part of the neural foundation for attachment. So it's just really fascinating, amazing, and just important to know that this tuning and pruning um, is showing you how the social world around your baby, what you are doing with your baby, the care provider simply being there, profoundly shapes the physical reality of baby's brain wiring. So just by caring for your baby, that you are having a massive influence on how their brain um, is is coming together is 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 set up effectively. There is of course a risk in this. There's a risk in this because babies' brains require a social world in order to develop, typically in how they should. So babies need certain physical inputs such as light onto their retinas to to get their to develop normal vision but it also turns out they need social input from other humans who guide their attention who speak or sing to them who touch cuddle and hold them at key moments and if these things aren't met things can go terribly wrong and I've talked about this sometimes in my baby massage courses because that is all to do with touch and loving touch but there was um, some really kind of awful um, things that we know about babies who are deprived um, of that touch and cuddling and being held um, and that babies did not thrive at all. So in the 60s, the Romanian communist government um, outlawed contraception and abortion. They wanted to expand their population and ultimately this new law meant there was a massive increase in births and more children than families could sadly afford and there was a huge amount of babies um, in orphanages. And many were treated badly. Um, they were fed, um, but they were in cribs in, in you know many, many hundreds of them at a time, um, housed in rows, almost like warehoused. I mean, this is really quite, you know, it's really awful. Um, but they had little stimulation or social interaction. They weren't, um, they were fed and they were changed and put back in their cribs. No one cuddled these babies. No one played with these babies, talked to the babies, sang with the babies. They were basically ignored. And this social neglect from these Romanian orphans, they grew up intellectually impaired. Problems learning languages, problems concentrating, resisting distractions, 
Their brain never developed the wiring for an effective spotlight. They had trouble controlling themselves and various other things. They had mental um, behavioural issues and their bodies were stunted in growth because they grew up without care providers to give their body budgets and keep them solvent. And their brains just never learnt to budget effectively. So babies' brains wire themselves to the environment which has big advantages, but also in the wrong environment, when there's key elements missing, this is critical and can cause big problems. So we know that babies that are raised in severely socially impoverished conditions develop brains that are smaller than average and key areas of their brain are smaller than average too. So we basically know, we know that babies' brains are not fully formed when they are born, unlike some other mammals, babies' brains are pretty immature and their environment and the people around them have a really big input. And so what you do with your baby and how you interact with them um, is hugely important. So that means that responding to your baby, cuddling your baby, feeding your baby, interacting with your baby, the simple things that we are our kind of heart and our intuition tells us to do are the way that babies need responding to. And that is helping them thrive, not just in the moment um, to soothe them and to calm them and to help them grow physically, but it's helping their brain development too. And there's, you know, science doesn't have all the answers yet. There's research being done all the time. But we think that this arrangement, this something that um, this how the social environment, the physical characteristics affects the genetic makeup, something called epigenetics um, and the expression of genes. But we think this is, or scientists think this is helping our cultural and social knowledge flow efficiently from one generation to the next because the baby's brains become optimised for its particular environment, the one that they develop in. So that the caregivers curate the baby's physical and social niche, the baby's brain learns that niche and the baby grows up. They perpetuate that niche by passing that culture onto the next generation through words, actions, which wire the brains of the next generation in turn. And this process is called cultural inheritance. And it's really efficient and frugal because it means that evolution doesn't have to encode all of our wiring in the genes. It offloads this job to the world around us, including the other humans who care for us and have those social interactions. So we unknowingly wire the knowledge of our culture into our offspring after birth, for better or for worse. And if we go back to that whole idea, what we might have heard and and is still perpetuated, um, but we might have learnt in school, the whole nature versus nurture, it's very alluring to kind of think about, but it's not realistic because we have the kind of nature our genes that requires the nurture so your genes that you've passed on to your baby and your baby's genes require this physical and social environment a niche filled with other humans who share your infant gaze people who speak with intent who help you to control your body temperature who feed you and love you and cuddle you and all of those things simply help to produce a finished adult brain So we know it matters how we cheat our babies and our children, but it matters actually more than we knew even a few decades ago. It is vitally important to how baby's brain works and develops and takes them forward. So your baby's brain wire themselves 
to the world that's around them. And it's up to us as the caregivers to create that world and a socially rich world giving them these wiring instructions are going to help babies' brains become healthy and whole. So I hope that's interesting, thought-provoking. I hope it kind of gives a bit of an overview, a bit of a starting place to just think about baby's brain and development and kind of current thinking of neuroscience, which is always changing, always evolving, of course, but that that nature-nurture thing has kind of been overtaken in thinking by this idea of the expression or suppression of genes and epigenetics and all of that and how having uh, a responsive and interactive relationship with your baby is so important in terms of touch, in terms of hugging and cuddling and feeding and eye contact and singing and talking and kind of all the natural physiological responses that we do with babies anyway are are making a huge impact on them and and doing that you can't spoil a baby you can't do that too much um it is all massively important so going with your gut and your instinct your intuition for that really important there's some books that i'm going to put in the show notes because there's you know this is just skimming the surface um there's a great book um by Sue Gerhardt, Why Love Matters, um, all about loving relationships and about how they are essential to brain development in babies' early years and how those interactions have lasting consequences for future emotional and physical health. That is an amazing book, kind of like a classic in the field. Um, There's also a book that I remember being recommended by Peter Walker, um, and this is called, the book isn't by Peter Walker, it was, it was recommended to me by lovely Peter Walker. This is called A General Theory of Love. What an amazing name for a book, A General Theory of Love. And this is by Lewis, Amini and Lannan. It's quite old now, the book, actually, um, but it's, it's still a great book. It is kind of a classic too. Um, and then there is um, a book that's more just about neuroscience in the brain and not particularly about babies. Um, brains um, but how emotions are made by Lisa Feldman Barrett is a great book too Um, there's a lot to read it's it's written in very small print that book so there's loads packed in there Um, but that's just a fascinating book about kind of neuroscience and how your brain works which is fascinating to me at least so um, I will put um, those books um, in the show notes which is at four modern mothers forward slash podcast for you and um, yeah I hope you've enjoyed the podcast I'm glad to be back on the podcasting um, microphone hot seat whatever you might call it there will be some more soon um, I've got some great um, people in the pipeline lined up and I've got a whole host um, of topics that I want to cover um, so I'll be back with one very soon if you have any suggestions things you'd like me to cover on the podcast please to do with babies pregnancy fertility parenting motherhood um transitions to motherhood um all of those things anything like that let me know and I will see what I can do but until I'm back on there then hope you um take good care um any questions drop me an email a message um, let me know and I would I absolutely love hearing from people um, so thank you take good care lovely people bye thank 
you for listening. It's great to have you here and I really do appreciate your support too. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and if you have, then please don't forget to subscribe. And if you could leave a review or share with other mothers and mothers-to-be that you know, well, I'd be eternally grateful. You can join me as well on my online platform at www.formodernmothers.com where you'll find show notes and lots more goodness and resources all about thriving and making your own unique path as a mother in the modern world, as well as details of all my programs, online courses, my classes and coaching packages too. And do follow me over on Instagram too at Four modern mothers or on Facebook and be part of my social community. I'd love to connect with you there. Take care, amazing woman.